0: Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions.
1: Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Season Kirkwood calls herself a bit of a nomad. She spent much of her adult life living in different cities and towns, working in different sectors to develop her entrepreneurial passions. She worked for the City of Winnipeg before leaving to pursue land-based recreation entrepreneurial development. Season provides mentorship and leadership to indigenous communities to create and run recreation programs with increased access to the outdoors. She has also partnered with the Local Recreation Commission to create offerings for families, children, and tourists, visiting local historical sites, and experiencing land-based activities. Season shares knowledge of Métis culture. She also takes the opportunity to talk with families about the language we use around inclusion and gender identity. What you will hear loud and clear in this conversation is Season's love of nature and the outdoors and her passion for sharing it with others. Season is a pioneer. She was trained as part of a committee of folks that will now coach others in discovering experiential tourism opportunities across Canada. One of the best parts is that she is connecting other small businesses, creating a community centered approach. She told me about how a group of women will show up at council meetings together to show support for one another, and I was struck by her sheer passion for community and inclusiveness. Plus, she's a captivating storyteller. Okay, Susan, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you?
0: Southeastern Manitoba, a.k.a. the Great Plains, just south of Winnipeg. Wow. And why? Why? Why are you there? I grew up coming down to these parts of um, Manitoba as a child. We had family just south of where I am, and um, I've moved around a lot in my adult life. And I knew the house, and a friend of mine was selling it, and I knew it was really good value for its money. And I was currently living north of Winnipeg by the lake and um we just made the move and just said you know let's just try and integrate back into a smaller civilization and so we did that <laughs> it's
1: lovely isn't it it's just mm, it's it's an, a different life and um i think uh, there's nothing like it talk about um how your experience has led you to being your own boss
0: entrepreneurial spirit and Um, a little bit of unsettlement with the way things are in the world and society and how corporations are run. Uh, human rights violations and disrespectful workplaces and toxic masculinity. Working in Winnipeg and, uh, while living outside of it really made me recognize that I was finding a lot of my, uh, mental stability and wellness by being away from those organizations and the big city and living outside of the city had a lot of healing and and natural benefits. So when we moved south here, I recognized that there wasn't a lot of programs that actually were getting people outdoors. And I figured, you know, I can't go just take another job and have the same situations, even though I still live rurally. And I decided to turn my passions into my career, and left that cozy job filled with a lot of chaos. And just uh, I've been bootstrapping it ever since to try and make it work because I think now is the time and especially with the pandemic that approached a year and a half into my entrepreneurial like full-time business strategy and then recognize that that was perfect timing and right now is when people are trying to get back on the land and as an Indigenous person um, with reconciliation I think that what I'm doing is actually going to promote that connectivity to traditional Indigenous knowledge so it's um perfect timing to be an entrepreneur in this field. Wow, that
1: is inspiring <laughs> to say the least. Can we can we pull apart a little bit of the the things that you talked about that were troublesome to you in your corporate job? Can we talk about why in particular the those systems weren't working for you as an indigenous person?
0: I faced a lot of adversity just by being a diverse person. Um, sexism, by being a woman in a male-dominated field. Uh, there's a lot of um, the uppers are all in a brotherhood and they want to keep it that way. And the minute anyone talks about human rights or human rights violations or just being uncomfortable at work, we're considered snowflakes and therefore more bullied and blacklisted and treated in a different way. Um, this led to me having a emotional collapse and a very severe depression. And I was unable to even want to attend work anymore. So I had to go off from work. And coming back into it, I was accommodated into another position, which escalated the problems. And when you have that much And that many people above you and around you thinking that you're not deserving of an accommodation due to your mental illness because of the workplace. And then it escalates again and again and again and again. And how many times can I be that person entering into an HR office or calling the Human Rights Commission and filing complaints against an organization or even talking to the top bosses who say, that's just the way it was. And I was working in a place my dad was working in for 30 years Mm. and he warned me of it he's like it's a brotherhood um don't ruffle any feathers don't try and make changes and um you'll be okay you'll have a house and a car and all these great things and um it's not enough at the end of the day it's a toxic workplace and it's one of those places that um the only way it's going to change is if it gets shut down and someone else reopens it so (laughs) it just wasn't worth it after 13 years of trying to you know even joining the union and trying to change it from the inside out and it just wasn't happening so
1: you know what i i don't think you're yeah. alone i think that you talking about it will bring it up for a lot of people i think we're living in a time where people are examining their uh inner morals their compass and i think that you were perhaps ahead of your time in that you left. And that
0: must have been terrifying. It was. And, you know, it came down to how many jobs do I have to go through and how many departments do I have to go through because they weren't changing. And talking to my doctors and like, why am I the one changing all the time? Why do I, why am I the one that has to medicate to deal with these people? Why can't they just be modified in their own behavior or be disciplined out of their behavior like you want this job we want this job we're all trying to make a living we all want to go home and feel okay and we had a pretty uh tough job um in the public eye and you know there was a lot of things happening that i think everybody was so collectively struggling with this organization that the only way they could cope was to take it out on somebody else and that ultimately was what was happening at the end of the day and the minute you stand up for yourself and try to make change the people in supervisory positions they want to walk into retirement with their fat paychecks and they don't want to make change so they make it really difficult for you to want to come to work so if you leave then the problem's gone because i ultimately was that problem for them how do you feel now And freaking tastic. I wish I did it sooner. I wish that I never had all the benefits and the perks and the luxuries of being able to go on a sick leave and a stress leave and then get all the help that I had through that because I truly recognized a few things about myself when I was on that leave is that I should never have went back because it was nature that rescued me and reconnected me to myself and the world and to my passion and um, going back was a detriment and slowed me down three years. And right now as an entrepreneur, I'm since 2019 when I left um, and then a baby entered my life and all these things happen all at the same time the pandemic hit. And I feel like I'm way ahead than I was when I was stuck in fear and struggling with this job that had the illusion that I was going to be secure and ultimately um, being fearless and recognizing that leaving was going to be the best thing I could do was the best thing I could do. And if I have any advice for anyone is if you can't stop thinking about something and, and you have a passion, trust your passion and everything else will find its way. There will always be ways to make money because that's the way our society works. And um, the less you make, the less you spend.
1: Again, so inspiring. And I think many people will hear your story and have very similar experiences. And the fact that you talk about it now, is going to help other people make that decision sooner. The fact that you are willing to be open about it and willing to talk about it now helps so many people. So it wasn't a waste of time. You're talking about it. So you're helping other people.
0: And, you know, I don't think people, and I didn't either, we don't appreciate the fact that when you have drive and passion and determination, you could create anything. And literally everything that we need is available in our world in our modern society and the more connections and the more network we networking we can do that's the more brickwork we lay into our own little sidewalks that we're walking on this is our life we don't know how long we have and and when we're doing what we're passionate about we're probably working at least 90 hours a week but don't feel it because this is part of being an entrepreneur and part of being a business owner is that you're, if you're not selling a product and you're basing everything on your passion, you're just trying to find your way, that there is no perfect way to start. You just have to pull off the Band-Aid and dive in and be fearless and recognize that fear does nothing good for anybody. <laughs> well, it fuels
1: you sometimes. It does. You know, It, it turns you in a different direction, perhaps. It, I think the fear of a wasted life could be a good driver. Uh, to become an entrepreneur. So let's talk about your passion. I
0: think so. <laughs> oh. Let's talk about your passion. <laughs> so
1: you are passionate and that comes through. And I love that. Let's talk about <laughs> seizoons. I hope I'm saying it correctly. And let's talk about how that
0: came to be and what you do. Because of my circumstance and recognizing that I was resorting to nature for healing because that's truly where I was able to ground myself. I figured that living in rural Manitoba, I was noticing, and I I have family members living rurally also, that a lot of us were commuters, there wasn't a lot of time. And we always had to strategize getting from point A to point B, and when we had to pick up milk on the way, but so tired sometimes. And then how do we even find the energy to do things that were good for ourselves when we're in this world of eight hour workdays, two hour commutes. By the time we get home, we're so crashed out that we forget to take care of ourselves. So in recognizing this, um, I started turning to the recreation divisions and seeing what was being offered in accessible ways to people who lived a rural lifestyle. And um, there wasn't anything in my region directly that was happening at the time. So I said, well, you know, when people are thinking about that quote, it takes one person to change the world or to try something new or to um, change the life of somebody else. I'm like, what do I have? What am I capable of that I can share with the world in a business format? Like, what can I do to help mentor or coach or help show people the benefits of what nature can do, living in this beautiful atmosphere and talking to people around getting to know the community. I'm like, did you know there's this great forest path back there? No, I didn't know that. How'd you find that out? I'm like, I followed the path. <laughs> and so I started creating all of these recreation programs. How do we get kids outside? I have nephews. They're, they're barely outside always on video games. I was seeing it in a youth um, when I was still in the city working that that people really weren't able to put down their phone and just be outside engaging and fun. So I was like, what if I just mirrored what I did for my own enjoyment, shelter building, fire building, hiking, uh, biking, boating, like what if I just created these little snippets, these little programs and just offered them? And I'm, I'm not a professional in any of them, but I've been doing them all my life. <laughs> and I see the health benefits full circle, holistically, and and then with reconciliation and so many Indigenous people who are now embracing their um, traditional cultures, but how could we all do it even in settler communities where people, everybody could benefit? So I got in contact with our local recreation um, director and I said, hey, like, what do I have to do to offer programming? And what does that look like? And I just started making connections with people that could help me expand how that world worked. And so I just started offering these little programs started with a music program that roamed around to communities because i knew music was a good outlet also and then i started taking that music outlet outdoors so all to all the festivals because as a child growing up i always wanted to play the instruments up on stage so i brought that to ground level for kids to come up off and parents they're singing karaoke playing instruments and um and everyone was really loving that. So I was like, well, what else can I do outside? Because this is actually becoming a thing. <laughs> so then I was like, I'm, I'm going to start day camps. I'll start with day camps. I'll find a spot because I've always, all my life wanted to own my own camp. And i started recognizing working this with this recreation commission that they were giving me access to all these lands and all these buildings. And I had this like, like light bulb. I was like, I don't need to buy land because I'd have someone giving me land to use. And then that was huge for me in a land back strategy as an Indigenous person to be like, we always had free roam to do whatever we had to do as a people like 160 years ago. Why not like play this role of like the Métis ox car driver dragging around the equipment, community, community, so that people could enjoy something in their own community because it's accessible. They didn't have to go to another community to enjoy it. So my whole mode of focus ended up being like, how do we allow people who are commuting families to have the time to, to take their kids or themselves to a program without having to go too far and then not be even more exhausted. And then I started sampling, um, doing day camps. So I got my day camp certification and just started self-educating myself about how to propose these programs and how to write them and how to make sure they're ticking the right boxes and that they're fun and enjoyable. And it was basically making um, mini programs based on all my passions. And so Seezoons began. And when I picked the name, so my name is Season. And then I was like, well, let's find a Machif language for season. And because it's year-round, it was supposed to be a kind of forest school pedagogy where people would follow and track the program throughout the year. And so I was like, oh, it's Seezunes. So I had this conversation with some elders at an AGM for the MMF and which is the Manitoba Metis Federation. Mm-hmm. I said, so if I was to call my company Sezunes, how would that translate to you? And then she's like, well, this means the seasons. And I was like, okay, so that's cool. And so I showed her the spelling and she's like, well, we don't use double vowels. That's just how they're trying to show you how to how to say the word. And I'm like, oh, but I really like it because it sounds like a zippy sound from those old cartoons. They're like Zoom and then I (laughs) kind of saw it as this battle cry where if we're in the middle of the forest I could tell these kids to do like a wild like says and so it stuck (laughs) and then we registered the name in capital letters Uh, so it is a cry out like hello like come out all year and so that's how that began and then COVID hit (laughs) so programs ultimately were scaled back and I wasn't allowed to open up my little satellite day camps. I did travel through um, 17 communities running programs throughout Manitoba and um, the pandemic um, because of our cohorts and bubbles and being with family, it made me do a lateral shift into tourism and I would never even have, have occurred to me. But when I lived at the lake, I did have people come out and I hosted kayaking adventures and hikes and like guided kinds of things just for friends. And so I'm like, why not? let's jump in. T- I'm by a provincial park. Like this is a perfect move. I have more clientele now with COVID. And so now what can I do? <laughs> so it just keeps evolving and it's, and it's fantastic. And it's a great ride and I, I can't get enough of it. And, and now I'm trying to work on this big giant project to develop, um, the little village next to me into a tourist destination to, to pair culture with recreation and culinary. And because I really think that people need to start seeing what Rural has to offer. And I think I'm the person to help uh, build these experiential developments. Because I've been working with Eastman Tourism. and got some really good training and coaching to develop experiential tourism. And so I'm just ready to go. Like, let's go. Where is this going to come in two years? (laughs) So, sorry, that was a lot of words.
1: Oh, gosh. No, it's absolutely great. (laughs) I mean, it is so... Um, moving actually to hear someone so passionate about something that they love to do. And to hear you talk about your previous, you know, professional life, your voice is completely different. And it seems like you have boundless energy for these projects that not only, though, serve your passion. But it also serves your legacy. You are teaching people about land stewardship. You're teaching people about indigenous ways. And like you said, settlers can afford to learn, right? Truth and reconciliation, part of that is two-eyed seeing where we work together.
0: It, it is. And truly, I'm truly grateful for the support that I receive from all of the um, like community futures and other entrepreneurial sectors, because I truly believe that they're finally becoming awakened to embracing and empowering um, entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that there's going to be a lot of more, a lot more educational things coming out for people who are just going to start carving their own path because there's room for everybody. And, and there's enough for everybody. So we don't have to get stuck into, well, we can only open another factory that does this thing and employs 50 people. Because I think the more autonomy that people have, the healthier our communities become. Because, you know, traditionally in smaller communities, everyone had that person that did that thing. And now that we lived in blended communities and people are moving out away from Winnipeg, so they're still commuting, there's that disconnect. Because they're leaving. So they don't need necessarily this thing that's happening in rural communities. But there's enough people in rural communities to go, no, I'm that person here in this community to do this thing. So when you need to pick up the phone, don't go anywhere else. Because we're right here. And we need to help find those people. And Andrew from the Mashup Lab will tell you that too. And he's he's formatted his whole business around finding those rural municipal gems of entrepreneurs and and he's been a great coach and mentor um for me also and um we get to actually work with him again which is awesome because he really helped me feel confident and all i have to say i have to give him a shout out because his program and his inspiration he's like me but 10 years ahead and way more um (laughs) like just super passionate as an entrepreneur
1: And you're talking about Andrew Button from Mashup Lab. I'm familiar with Andrew. I am. Yes. Okay. Yeah,
0: I am. We'll give Andrew a shout out for sure.
1: You, You talk about the rural spirit of entrepreneurism and working together. And as women, how do we lift each other up? And so all of those voices are amplified. So, you know, traditionally in rural communities, there's a lot of old men let's be honest that their voices get heard mm-hmm. the loudest so how is it yep. that we can ensure we lift and empower and amplify each other while we're helping ourselves
0: i think i i encountered this earlier in the year where i really recognized there was a whole string of us that are kind of on the same path we want to create land-based cultural camps we want to create unique stays and get people onto the land, but we weren't being um, heard in that serious manner where we're actually able to execute tasks. And this was not exactly my situation, but the ones that are coming to me from the outside. And I said, you know, why don't we gather together and make a squad? (laughs) And so when we go to approach council or we go to approach an agency, We're not alone in it and we can use each other as sounding boards to really empower each other to do better. And there's always that like, oh, we're doing the same thing. There might be some competition, but there's not because there's room for everybody. So once you get over that hurdle of that thinking, that mindset, that's a very colonialistic, masculine, patriarchal mindset that we're competing. But when we see that we all have these really, really great skill sets that someone might actually be able to help me some other way. And being open and receptive to that, but I said, what if we had this union of of people, women entrepreneurs, two spirited entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are um, part of the BIPOC community? Period. Yeah. And anytime they have to go and face face the dragons, so to speak, mm-hmm. they're coming with us. So when they're going on a Zoom meeting, because it's all it was all virtual, we should all pop up in that meeting. They're like, well, what's going on here? oh, sorry, I brought some of my friends with me because there's power in that and empowerment in that. And then having those people going, uh, being our cheerleaders. And I think that that's what we're finding a lot with these new um, pop-up groups that are designated for certain business streams is that they're really empowering each other to just be like, yeah, this is exactly where I should be. And, And then there's different stages of everybody. So my sister and I, she's my business partner, we talk about all the time, like we have to start having bonfires. And instead of round tables, we'll have bonfires, and we'll bring entrepreneurs in and we'll bring uh, business people in, we'll bring mentors in. And we'll just get back to the good old fashioned around the fire, eat food, have some talks and just really get a sense of of how we're not alone, especially in rural Manitoba. So so hopefully we can get something going. Uh, Very grassroots, whoever wants to join.
1: You gave me goosebumps talking about around the fire. You talked about the power in numbers. And that is crucial, I think. And showing up virtually hands on each other's backs, right? I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here for you. I know you're going to be here for me. That's community. That's getting back to Mm -hmm. grassroots community and that is inspiring that is where we should be going
0: and I think it's hard for people that migrate into these small communities to feel that they are in a position to receive that support because they're outsiders quote unquote Mm -hmm. and I'm a nomadic person I've lived all over like the prairies I've been in Alberta and different small towns and Calgary and I've been all over Manitoba, and so as a nomadic person, I'm like no. Nah, but you just have to weasel your way in there, and and make it work. So, but I think we all need a handout. So who's the one that are, are going to lend their hand out and say, yeah, come into this to this um, this network? And what does that look like? And how does it begin? And it has to for me begin in the way that I know how, which is a community bonfire. I I always say I'm a volunteer economic development officer. <laughs> so, Right? They would so love I'm you. I'm trying to get paid this way now, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, event planner, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, whatever works.
1: So, for someone who's listening so someone. and they are dragging themselves still into their corporate craptastic job and they have a passion in their mind and something that lights them up inside, what is your advice to? those people listening. Cause I don't think it's just one.
0: So this is the world that they built around you. So know this, this is exactly how they want you to live. They want to oppress you and keep you down. They want you feeling like crap. So you don't try and change the system that they're so comfortable in. So my advice to you is to start making those connections and those networks to see what is possible for you to rip off the bandaid and dive in. That is fantastic
1: advice. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. I'm sure lots of people listening will be inspired by your story. Thank you. Miigwech.
0: Be fearless. Like, this world is here for the taking, literally. So just worry not. Just keep going.
1: this episode, please subscribe, rate it and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm. And the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time.